The other thing that uh, we're doing today is we're starting a new series called First Things First. We're going through the book of Colossians. Uh, I think it's going to be a great series. We'll talk a little bit more of the, the background behind it, but the idea of First Things First is just kind of right here at the beginning of the year, keeping the right priorities in front of our eyes. We talked about that a little bit, chasing vision. Um, but I'm wondering, how many of you uh, have made any New Year's resolutions this year? You said, I'm going to do things different. Anybody? Not a single person. That's amazing. <laughs> Guys, you have embraced it. That's beautiful. Can I just say how beautiful that is? You're like, you know what? I like me just the way I am. Last year, you said, you know what? I, I didn't go to the gym once. 2019, we're making changes. This year, you're like, you know what? I didn't go to... The gym once last year, and I didn't mind. I'm just going to embrace it. That's good. Good for you guys. That's body positive. I like it. All right. You know, we're, we're trying to be thoughtful here. Yeah, so a couple of you had your hands raised. We, we, we set out these things either, either formally or informally, and we say, ah, oh, this year I'm going to do things different. I had a friend of mine who posted on Facebook, and she said, I'm going to read 80 books this year. Some of you were like, 80? I didn't read eight books last year. Right. And you realize, like, I want to make a change. I need to do something different. So we we set up gyms and diets and, and thoughtful things. How am I going to be different? How am I going to pray different, read different? You know, we, we set up all these different ideas. What am I going to be? Maybe I'll learn a new instrument or a new language. I'm going to travel. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We start trying to fill in the gaps. And what I'd like for you to do, what I'd like for you to do is take some space right here. First Sunday of the year. And I want you to think what kind of person am I going to become? Who is the person that I will live into? What is the life that God desires for me? What is the life that is satisfying and fulfilling? Because I think sometimes we push this life of being a Christian to the side. We don't mean to. We just think I'll get to it tomorrow, right? I'll be in the word of God tomorrow. I should call that person. I should visit them. I'll do it tomorrow. And tomorrow just doesn't show up. It just doesn't happen. And it's easy for that to take place. So I want to I want to invite you to make the first and most important things, right? The highest priority of this year. We have the chance. We have the chance to rewrite the narrative. 2020 has not been written yet. It's not figured out. So let's figure it out and decide we're going to be the people who live for Jesus. And this is what this whole thing is all about, right? Not just church, but this whole life in Christ. That's what it's about. It's about transforming us into people that live out the life of Jesus. And so today as we get into this, I'd like to invite you to open up to Colossians chapter 1. Today's going to be kind of a, a different sort of a service. But we're going to start here just giving you a little bit of introduction to Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1. We kind of get this uh, introduction going on, and we're going to get there in just a minute where, where Paul's going to identify himself and say, hey, I'm Paul, and this is who I'm writing this whole deal. That's how we know who wrote it and who it's written to. But this book, I think, can really be summed up well. Kind of a key verse for the book is in Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7, where he basically tells them, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. You started, you accepted Jesus, now live like Jesus. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. This is the life of a Christ follower. And literally everything else in this book is kind of about how to get there. And in the, the people of Colossae, right, in this, in this town where they were, 
Um, these people, a church has been planted and they're starting to follow Jesus and all these false teachers are starting to speak into it and starting to um, kind of draw people away and there's relativism and pluralism and paganism and all these things are pushing on the teaching they've received and they say, yeah, Jesus is a way, but is he the way? And yeah, Jesus was a good teacher, but he's not really God, right? You must have misunderstood, misinterpreted. God's not like that. That's not... Who God is. I mean, sure, Jesus was great, but didn't he die on the cross? Are you telling me God is dead? No, he rose from the grave. Are you sure he was dead in the first place? There's kind of all this pushback and they start to get confused. And the church that was just so recently planted is now struggling with their faith system. And he writes this letter to encourage him. And and really, there's no better book, four chapters, four chapters. It's short. There is no better book that focuses on the centrality of Christ and the absolute importance of understanding who Jesus is to transforming the life of the believer. And so I say again in Colossians 2, 6 through 7, he's saying, just as you receive Christ. So to those of you in this room who have received Christ, hear this for you. Just as you have received him as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. This is the call. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And in this first chapter, it's kind of interesting if you think about it, we find out that, that Paul, he didn't plant this church. He planted tons of churches, uh, but he didn't plant this one. And so the movement of the gospel is kind of moving forward, and he writes this letter, and he introduces himself. Here we go, into the background, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. That's who's writing this. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, historians have kind of um, placed this in history as right around uh, somewhere between 60 and 63 A.D. This would have happened somewhere around um, probably the third missionary journey of Paul. They believe it's towards the end of his ministry and that he's actually writing this from prison. And so as he's in prison, Epaphras would have come to visit him Um, and tell him about this church that was planted. And this is an interesting thing because Paul has been planting churches all over the place. His whole missionary journeys are go, preach the gospel, gather the believers, appoint elders. Okay, you're a church. And then he leaves. This is how the church in Corinth is established. This is how the church in Ephesus is established. But in Colossia, Colossia, Colossae, there we go, um, this is not, yeah, you try and say it, okay? It's hard. (laughs) Biblical words are tough. Don't judge me. Um, so, so he didn't plant this church. And when he finds out about them from this guy, Epaphras, who has planted this church and cared for these people, um, he says, man, I got to talk to these guys and just encourage them. And the first thing that he says is really, really interesting is he doesn't start with, hey, I heard you're facing, you know, um, this kind of tough thing. And let's talk about false teachers. He actually never addresses the false teachers. This is very interesting, a totally different approach than John takes, right? Because when John sees that there's a a community struggling with this, he's like, hey, these guys are false teachers. Tell them to shut up and get right with Jesus because they're wrong and they're messed up. Paul takes a different tactic. It's an interesting kind of a deal. And the very first thing he does is he begins in prayer. And he says, hey, I just wanted you to know you don't know me, but I'm praying for you. Now, that's a cool thing. 
That's a pretty cool thing. I mean, imagine someone that you know and respect that you're like, they've heard of us. I mean, it would just be kind of wild if I got an email from Francis Chan and he was just like, hey, Andrew, I just wanted you to know I'm praying for you and your congregation. I would be like, what? You're what? You rip me? Me? If John Piper was like, hey, Pastor Andrew, I just wanted you to know I think about you often and I'm praying for you every day. I'd be like, what? John Piper? Me? Right? Like, like it would have this weird, like, what? You're praying? What? And this is kind of what's going on here because Paul, who has planted all these churches, he didn't plant this one, and he's writing them, and he tells them in verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Can you just imagine? They're in this, they're in this church that's newly formed. Newly formed. I mean, definitely within the last 10 years. Okay? They're new. They're young in their faith. They're trying to figure this out. And this guy they've heard of is going all over the world, planting churches. The greatest missionary that we have recorded in the New Testament. I mean, you know, Jesus, but whatever. Um, and as they're going through this, he's saying, We're praying for you and thanking God for you. Why? Verse 4, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that sprang from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you. Since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Now, this is kind of a a significant thing. So literally what he's doing is he's saying, I want you to understand, you have a very specific context. You heard from a guy who wasn't famous. His name was Epaphras. Okay, he shows up in chapter 4 again that we actually know he's from Colossae. Okay? This is his hometown. And he heard the message, probably from Paul or another missionary or another church, but he heard the message of the gospel, and he immediately had a burden for his hometown, for his neighbors, for his family. And so he went back and he planted this church and he prayed for them often. And so he's telling Paul as he's visited him in prison, hey, I want you to know there's good things going on in my hometown. There's a church that's gathered there and this kind of stuff is going. And you may be thinking like, man, it's just Epaphras, right? Like if you thought, oh, our, our, you know, we weren't founded by Paul. We were just founded by this, you know, no name, nobody. It's like Francis, like if, if there was a conference And it was like Francis Chan, John Piper, and Andrew Beerline are speaking. People would be like, what is happening? Like, I know these guys. Why don't I know Andrew Beerline? And everybody here is like, oh, man, you're missing. Right, right? I mean, you're you're missing out. No, no, but it's like, hey, but you got to understand, it's way bigger. It's way bigger than the singular thing. You know, how many churches did Epaphras plant? Maybe just this one. And he's like, but it's bigger than that. You heard it from him and you followed this Christ. I want you to know that same thing is happening all over the place. He says, I want you to know that all over the world, this is bearing fruit. I want you to know that what's happening in your hometown is what's happening literally all over the world as the gospel is moving forward and changing the hearts and lives of people. He says, I need you to understand that this is something that is significant and large and that you're a part of it and that I see it bearing fruit in you. And what he identifies in them is he says, I've noticed two things as I hear about you. And this is why I pray with joy and thankfulness that you exist. He says, because I've heard of your faith 
in Christ Jesus. And I've heard of the way you love. These are the two things. And he identifies them and he gets excited about them being a church because he says, man, I see that you have faith in Christ and that it is inspiring you to an incredible Christ-like love. That's verse 4. And he's saying it's based in this hope that you have. And I think sometimes we need to hear this because there is stuff going on in the world that I don't think we really grasp in America. I think, in fact, we're kind of in a funny tipping point in the place of Western Christianity. I think that we've recognized that some of the places that have been kind of stereotypically the leaders in Christian faith, places like France and Germany, aren't necessarily the leaders anymore. Places like England, places like America... The places that we said, man, this was a Christian nation. This is where the theologians came from. This is where the people who knew and loved Jesus sent missionaries to other places so that they could know and love Jesus. And we hear these statistics and and we kind of get this sense that the maybe Christianity is on the decline. Maybe maybe the movement of the gospel is no longer impacting lives powerfully. And we hear about the opposition that's going on all over the world, perhaps even very notably in China. And it was about this time two years ago in 2018 that the Golden Lampstand Church in Linfin, China was destroyed by the government. And they blew it up. Literally, they took a crane and they crushed it and then they took dynamite and exploded it. They blew up this thing, this thing that had been built because house churches all over this area in Linfin, there is 4.5 million people and 50 to 60,000 poor people they took up a, a collection of 50 to 60,000 people and they built a church. And the government came in 2018, January 7th, and they arrested the pastor and his family. And on the 9th, they destroyed the church. This is the crazy part. They actually build the church for the demolition. They build them. They sent them a bill and asked them to pay for it. I was like, what is this story? And I began to find out that that within this, it's not because their paperwork was wrong. It's because the government in China has a vendetta against the church. And this church was one of several different churches that when they asked to have closed loop security cameras installed, they said no. And so they tore it down. They destroyed it. In the years between 2013 and 2015, over a thousand such churches were destroyed in China. And you hear stories of this and you go, man, the opposition is huge. And you might be led to think, man, although there is a house church, perhaps it's a small remnant in China. And we say, thank you, God, for the seed of the gospel that although it's struggling, Lord, you have preserved it. Can I tell you, if that's your perspective in China, you're wrong. You're wrong. You see, in China, it has been estimated that 10,000 people per day become Christ followers. And even by conservative estimates, Christianity has grown 4,300% in 50 years, in the last 50 years. By 2030, in the next 10 years, China will have more Christians living in it than any other nation on earth. Hear me well when I say this. The gospel is alive and flourishing in the world. The spirit of God is moving forward and transforming lives. Guys, you need to know this. You need to know that God is active in transforming lives throughout the world, and we need to celebrate it. Back in uh, the year 1900, there were 9 million Christians in Africa. By the year 2000, 100 years later, there were 335 million Christians 
In Latin America in 1900, there were 50,000 Protestants. Today, there are more than 64 million. The number of Christians in Asia grew from 101 million to 351 million between 1970 and 2010 in that 40-year window. And there are 3.7 times as many Protestants in Africa as in North America. And the gap grows dramatically every single year. Although the mode may change the model, right? In China right now, the church that's flourishing is the house church. And they're facing heavy opposition. And they're being imprisoned. And the statistics show that Christianity is growing by 7%. Every single year. Every single year it's continuing to grow. Why? Because the gospel, the gospel transforms lives. The message of hope in Jesus Christ is working radically and powerfully to liberate men and women from sin and darkness and drawing them into the family of God. And we need to thank God for this. Because God is actively at work. And even here in America, in places where we think, oh, man, is God still penetrating lives? Is he still changing people? Is he still at work? And you kind of get what's going on in, in Western culture. And they call this post, uh, a post-Christian movement. Essentially, the place where Christianity was the singular religion of the place is now the thing that people are over. They're just, you know, we had that before and we're kind of done with it. And we're getting a taste of this in America where people say, yeah, my grandparents were Christians. They make me go to church with them on Easter and Christmas, but it's, it's a dead religion. We don't really need that anymore for ourselves. I want you to know that there's still a contingent strong and flourishing in America of people who are gathered together just like this to worship and praise the name of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God is alive and well in the world. So he tells them, you're connected to this incredible movement of God and it's bearing fruit. It's transforming lives. And this is continuing to go on then and it's continuing to go on now. And secondly, he begins to pray that they might live worthy of Christ. And this is typical of Paul. He says, listen, you've accepted this thing. You've trusted in Jesus as Lord. Now live worthy. This is the same thing that he speaks of. I think it's in Ephesians chapter four and Philippians two. He says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He does this over and over again, and it's really not about just being good. It's about kind of aligning your life with Jesus, keeping the first things first. So hear this as he prays it. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. This is an incredible thing. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives. Now, this isn't just kind of like a. God, what do you want me to do? Where should I go? This isn't a magic eight ball moment, right? Like, you know, is that stain ever going to come out of the carpet? Signs point to no. It's, it's not that kind of thing. It's not like, hey, God, I need to know your will. I was thinking about eating dinner. Should I? Shouldn't I? Let me know. Should I eat more beef or less beef? Should I wear orange? God, I'm not sure if that's on my color palette. God, what's your will? Tell me, should I marry this woman or this man? Should I date like this? Should I take this job or go to this school? I think sometimes we narrow the will of God into something that merely answers the question that we think is most important. Can I tell you that what Paul is praying over them is not that they would have an answer to the question that they think is vital. He is praying that they would begin to seek out and know and understand the heart of God. 
Because when that happens, we're not any longer just asking God, answer my questions. Instead, we start to ask God, what are the things you're asking? What is the pursuit that you're after? Perhaps we're not even asking the right questions. And he says, this is what's going to happen. He says, when you know and understand the will of God. Verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. This is our greatest desire. This is what we live for, to please God in every way. And then he goes through a list. He says, this is what I'm praying over you. That you would be bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. This is the list that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way. First, bearing fruit in every good work, that your life would be consistent with the character of God, that the things you have believed in your heart would flow to an an outflowing of a life consistent with God, that your deeds would change and be shaped by your belief. Second, growing in the knowledge of God, that we would know and understand him well, that we wouldn't be those who are simply satisfied to say, I'm saved now. I'm not going to hell anymore. I'm not worried. I'm not in danger of the fires of hell. No, no, no. I'm saying, God, I want to know you more. God, I need to know you more. God, a lifetime is too short to pursue knowing and understanding you. And sometimes it makes sense, right, that we would pray this, that you would grow in the knowledge of God, because some of us, we feel like, man, I don't know if I understand God at all. And some of you would say, God's so mysterious. He's so infinite that he's he's mind boggling. He's beyond comprehension. And some of you have kind of given up because you said, I tried to read the Bible. I didn't get it. And some of you have said, I prayed, but I I don't understand what God wants from me. And I'm trying to get him, but he just seems so uncomprehendable. This infinite God, he's mind boggling. And then you talk to the theologians and they're like, well, that's because there's no one that's ever existed like God who exists from infinity past to infinity future, who is utterly and totally perfect in all that he does, whose comprehension boggles our mind to even comprehend. And you say, see, I was right. You can't know God. And I would completely agree with you. On your own, looking, trying to grasp and understand and comprehend the mind of God would be impossible. But he hasn't left us in that situation. This is why the word of God is vital to the growth of a believer. Because he has revealed himself to us. This is him saying, this is who I am. This is my heart. This is how I think and and, and what I'm about. And so when we read the word of God, we're saying, God, I want to know you. I want to understand you. And I can't get that by myself. So let me listen to what you have to say about yourself. And I think we understand this, right? Because you've been around people before that, like, you didn't understand them just to look at them, right? Like, you think you know people pretty well. And all you people who've been married before, Right. You know what I'm talking about. I've been married for 15 years and and I was talking to Allison just the other day and I said she had this look on her face like there was something there, but I didn't know what. And I said, hey, how are you doing? And she says, I'm fine. I was like, tread lightly, my friend, tread lightly. I said, are you sure? Are you okay?" She said, I'm fine. I'm like, I don't think she's fine. Right. And so there's this moment and I'm like, there's something going on. I'm not sure what it is. And I start running through the list in my mind. Like, what have I done recently? Right. 
Like, did I put my clothes in the hamper? Did I leave them on the floor? Did I put the toilet seat down? Have I said anything? Like, you know, was I making a joke and I went too far? You know, was I cruel? Was I thoughtless? How did I screw up? Am I a bad husband? Like, all these questions start going through my mind. And finally it comes out and I'm like, no, really, what's going on? And she starts to share with me what's on her heart. And I'm like, man, I am so glad you told me because I was never going to guess that. Right? Like the reality is, is that most human beings are incomprehensible to us until they share. And once they do, you go, I get it. I understand. This is what God is doing. This is why he's given us his word is he's like, hey, listen, I want us to be close. I want us to have relationship. I want us to have relational intimacy. And so that means something has to change and you need to know me. So I'm going to reveal myself. And he has done this through the person of Jesus Christ. And he has done this through his word. And so when he prays for them, I want you to grow in your knowledge of God. This is a beautiful prayer. He prays that they would be strengthened with all power from the might of God, that they would be able to endure and have patience. Some of us are facing things and and you read the word of God and you're like, God, if I try to do that, I just don't think I have it in me. You want me to forgive? You want me to love them? Are you kidding me? Do you know how hard that's going to be? And he's saying, I want you to have, I want you to be strengthened with the power of God so that you can live out the life that God has called you to. And finally, giving joy, joyful thanks, sorry, giving joyful thanks to the Father. That you would have this thing coming out of you that would lead you to joy. And some of us, man, we get stuck in the complaint department. We get stuck in the frustration. We get stuck in the hardship and the bitterness. And it saps us of joy. And he's saying, I want you to pray with joy. And here's why. I want you to understand what it is that you've received. And he tells him in verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. He says, I want you to know what you've received because it's going to lead you into joy. I want you to understand what I'm giving you because when you do thankfulness to God becomes miraculously possible that he has not abandoned you and left you alone, but has redeemed you, forgiven you, washed you clean and invited you into his family of love. This is what you have received. And if you say, but you don't know this and this and this are going bad in my life right now, fine. But it hasn't changed what God has given you. And so joyfully give thanks. And so today, I said this was going to be a little bit of a different service. I want to lead you through this process. If at some point in time, the worship team wants to come up and give us a little background thing, that would be great. Um, But for right now, I want you guys to experientially pursue the Lord in prayer. I want us as a church to pray the kind of way that Paul was praying. And so I'm going to lead you through this process. The very first thing that I need you to do is I need you to get into groups of roughly three or four people. Do you guys think you can manage that in a short period of time? Go ahead. Right now. Three or four people. Some of you are like, what if we have five? Whatever. I'm not going to. This isn't the legalism police, but I want to give you guys room to pray. And here's what we're going to do. I have five points of prayer. One is to pray for the church that is growing throughout the world. It is good that we pray for them just the same way Paul did. 
Second, to pray that we would bear fruit in every good work, that God would transform us, the people in your group, the people in your community, the people of this church, that we pray that we would be growing in the knowledge of God, that God would build up in us a hunger for him. And at each point, we're going to have the passage of Scripture that correlates And I'm including a prayer because this is what I don't want you to do. There's going to be some of you who are here and you're like, yeah, I don't pray. I don't know how to pray. I open my mouth and the words don't come out. I don't know how that works. And somebody's going to be like, it's your turn. And you're going to be like, "Mm mm-mm. And here's what I want you to do. Let this be a coachable, teachable moment. If you say, I don't know how to pray, I don't want you to say that having gone from this moment, okay? This is part of that process of I want you to feel yourself speaking words to God. And listen, our faith is not in our ability to articulate the right words. Our faith is in the power of God to act and move, right? And so if you can't do this, if if this is hard for you, or you're like, man, I'm going to open up my mouth and say something stupid. Don't worry about it. God wants to hear from you. And compared to God, we're all stupid. It's fine. It's fine. He's just saying, come to me. I want to know you. But listen, if you're really saying this is hard and and, and I'm struggling, instead of saying pass or I'm not going to pray, here it is. There's going to be a prayer up there. Can we flip to the next slide? So our first point of prayer, there is going to be a prayer at the bottom. That's not it. Keep going. It's going to say, number one, pray for the church. Number one, pray for the church. There it is. And the prayer's at the bottom. And when it's your turn and someone's squeezing your hand or looking at you or pointing at you and you're like, I don't know what to say. Open your eyes, look at the screen, and read it. God, thank you for the church that is growing throughout the world and making the love of Jesus known. Increase our faith and love. Each prayer is short, it's brief, and it's on point. This is for you. That if you say, I don't know what to pray, I don't know how to do this, look for ways to find the words. Look for ways to talk to God. Can we do that? So don't pray super long. You're only going to have a a few minutes on each point. It's going to go quick. It's going to go quick. So don't pray long. But let's dive in. The first point of focus, pray for the church that is growing throughout the world. Will you begin to pray for that now? Go ahead.